Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsion, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. This episode is amazing, and it's because we're speaking with one of the best ultra runners in the sport right now, and she is just having an unbelievable 2022 so far. I mean, before just the epic year she's having this year, last year she won the Leadville 100, she won the Moab 240, and then this year, and I promise you all these races are completed within this year, she won the Coldwater Rumble, uh, then going in to winning Coca Dona 250, and then after that, going into winning the High Lonesome 100, and then winning Run Rabbit Run all in 2022. I mean, that is unbelievable to see the amazing success that she's had. And we're talking with no other than the legend herself, Annie Hughes. So this episode is amazing. We dive into Annie's secrets to success, a little bit of look behind the races that she's won, a little bit of look into her training, her recovery, everything like that. We go deep into there. Um, And the cool thing is too, Annie also uh, talks about her new coaching offering that she's doing with uh, Charmin Ultra. So she is a coach now with Charmin Ultra, helping runners achieve their goals. And so if you're interested in that, check the link in the bio to work with one of the best in the business for sure and just an overall amazing human being she is also a runner for hoka uh, which is one of my favorite shoe brands actually the favorite shoe brand of mine i shouldn't say one of they are the favorite shoe brand of mine so always enjoy having on athletes from hoka as well but regardless you're gonna love this episode so much and if you do and you really like annie feel free to check out her coaching services by going to the link in the show notes there but enough of that let's get into this amazing episode with annie hughes What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione. And let me tell you, ladies and gents, I'm so excited for today's episode because we are having on one of the athletes in the sport who's just having one of the most massive years I I think we've seen. And not just in terms of all the races that she's accomplished, but the results on top of it. So let me just give you just a highlight of what has happened in 2022 alone. So she came in first place at the Coldwater Rumble out here in Arizona in January, First place at the Cocodona 250, also in Arizona uh, in May of this year as well. First place in the High Lonesome 100 uh, in July of 2022. And then most recently, uh, several weeks ago, uh, first place at the legendary Run Rabbit Run Race. And then on top of that, too, she's also done a 24-hour uh, uh, mileage challenge for her birthday as well. And a bunch of different other uh, training runs sprinkled in between. So not only is she getting in the mileage, but she's also crushing it, stacking up to be one of the most talented ultra runners in the field. And I'm so excited to see what's next for her because she's coming in too at the young age of 24, which means she's got a lot of career ahead of her. And so this is like such an honor to have her on the podcast today to talk about her journey. And I'm so excited to have one of the most talented runners out there in the sport today, Annie Hughes. Annie, thank you so much for coming on the Everyday Ultra Podcast. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. (laughs) Yeah, of course. I am so excited for this episode. I know I probably told you that like five times and I mentioned a few times in the intro, but I mean, you have just had an incredible year and I would love to dive into like the adventure that 2022 has been for you. But before we get started, I'm always curious, especially like high caliber athletes like yourself, how did you get into this, uh, this crazy world of ultra running? Cause, uh, I mean, I know the story, I think it's so interesting, um, but I'd love to hear from your perspective of how you got into this, this, this crazy sport that we're all involved in. Yeah. Um, so my background is in cross country and track, and I did that for, you know, over 10 years growing up, I guess, started in middle school and went to college and, um, I grew up in Wisconsin and so I, I really, I didn't know anything about trail running or, you know, the mountains just because of where I lived. Um, that's just not as big a thing out there, I guess. <laughs> and so all I really knew was cross country track and, you know, road running. And so I thought after college, I'd probably get into like road, 
um, marathons and that sort of thing. And then maybe move up to ultras, but we would always come uh, to Colorado on family vacations. And so that's kind of where I got my first taste of uh, the mountains and trail running. Um, Cause I would do, you know, some trail running uh, on our family vacations, just training for cross country or track and didn't really realize that that's what I was doing, but <laughs> that's just kind of where you run here <laughs> um, is on really nice trails. And uh, yeah, I just, I loved coming out here. And then my family ended up moving to Buena Vista, Colorado for my senior year of high school. Um, and yeah, I was still really like immersed in the cross country track world. So I didn't really get into the mountains uh, that first year I lived here, but um, then I moved to Alamosa, Colorado, and I ran uh, for Adams State University for two years. And they have a really great tradition there. Um, they're a D2 school, but they have I think they've won like 60 national titles. Um, so they have a really great tradition there and um, really good coach. And I really, I love being a part of the team and um, it was definitely a cool experience, but I just got sort of interested in uh, trail running and ultras. And um, I started just hiking some of the 14,000 foot peaks in Colorado and there's 58 of them. And as soon as I climbed a couple of them, I was like, wow, I really want to climb them all. <laughs> <laughs> and so I made that, um, my next goal and, um, was just sort of getting burned out in cross country and track. And, um, yeah, I was just, I was really excited and fascinated with, um, just hiking in the mountains. <laughs> and so I actually, I quit the team. Um, yeah, the, I did one full year and then I ran a cross country season on the team and then quit and climbed all the 14ers <laughs> and moved to Leadville, Colorado. Um, cause I, there's a little college here and I figured I could finish up my degree here, uh, and get into trail running. Cause I just figured the level 100 is here and, um, there's probably a great community of runners. So it'd be a good place to get into the sport. And then my parents live, um, Urbina Vista is only like 30 minutes down the road. So it's just kind of an area that feels like home to me. And, um, yeah, that's kind of how I ended up in, in Leadville. And I ran a couple, uh, trail races and the first one I didn't really take too seriously. I just, it's uh, called the Moab Red Hot 55 K and, um, I'm actually never on a marathon. I just went straight from cross country, you know, running a 5k or whatever it is to this 55 K <laughs> race in Moab. And the only reason I signed up was because I had never been to Moab before and really just wanted to see the area. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I went and did that race and um, it was just such a different vibe from what I experienced in cross country, like just really intense atmosphere in those races. And I didn't really feel that at all in this race. Like everyone was so nice and like even chatting throughout the race. So I just, I really liked the atmosphere and, you know, I liked the challenge of running further than I ever had before. And um, yeah, and it just kind of made me curious of what it would be like to run further than that. And so then I did a 50 mile race right after that and uh Los Alamos, New Mexico. And it's kind of funny looking back on it because now I like, you know, I'm very meticulous or <laughs> I'm like particular about um, you know, my pace chart and everything has to be planned out going into races. <laughs> but um for that one, I didn't look at the course map or anything about the race at all and just like showed up. Oh. <laughs> um so I had no idea what to expect and I didn't really do that on purpose I just didn't like think about it <laughs> and it ended up it's one of the hardest 50 milers in the country it's just a lot of elevation gain I think there's like 11 or 12,000 feet in this 50 mile course <laughs> and <Crazy>. yeah <laughs> and it was just really hard for me but um I somehow ended up winning it and so I was like well maybe I'm better at these longer distance um races and so then I moved to Leadville like a month later and I signed up for the Silver Rush 50 um and I just figured since it's a little faster of a course than the one I had just done I was like well I can probably go out a little bit faster since you know that one was more climbing and so I went out really fast and I also like didn't really eat anything <laughs> I had like two gels <laughs> in the first like 30 some miles and I just remember I got to like 37 miles or something and just totally bonked and like fell apart oh and got passed by a couple of women. Um, and yeah, but I just, I really wanted to hang on to that third place spot. Cause that would guarantee my entry into level 100. Um, and I don't know why I thought I could run a hundred, <laughs> <laughs> um, for some reason, I just like really wanted to 
make it into the hundred. And so, um, yes, I was like a crying mess, but somehow I like held my place, (laughs) um, in third, uh, to the end. And, um, yeah, then COVID hit. And so I didn't, um, end up running Leadville until 2021, but, um, I did do some other, um, another hundred miler in 2021 and, um, an 160 mile FKT. Um, and that's kind of what brought me into like the longer distances, like the two hundreds. Um, I just figured if I could run 160 miles, I could do 200. <laughs> so it's only 40 miles more. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that yeah. is so awesome. And I, I love how, like, you know, when you got into the sport, like in that first 50 miler was like, yeah, like not that meticulous. I, I think it's so cool that you just kind of went into it and was like, yeah, I'm just going to see what happens. And then you ended up winning and it sounded like something just clicked where it was like, Hey, like, you know, maybe I could like actually be good at this thing. Like, and I know you mentioned, you know, the, the, the race that you did after that, like in terms of like the, the, the two gels and maybe not like, like, feeling properly and everything like that I guess like when was the part where like you really started to take it like meticulous and like started to get more serious about it like you mentioned like was it around you know leading up to Leadville because I mean when you did Leadville like obviously incredible result like coming in first place which is amazing and obviously a very talented field out there so what was that kind of like transition like from you know I'm just going to do this for fun to like okay I'm really going to take this seriously now yeah I think um uh, well, I got my, I signed my contract with Hoka, um, actually before Leadville 100. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. And, um, I, I hadn't really done that much. I mean, um, my best result was probably that FKT, um, on the collegiate loop, which, uh, I don't know if you, it, yeah. now, it's, um, people know about it more because Courtney just shattered the country. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when I did it, like not many people knew about that. Right? <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, it was just, um, a friend in Leadville or he, uh, writes for trail runner magazine and, um, yeah, has a house up here and lives here part-time. And so I just knew him through the running community and, um, he was like, yeah, um, cause I did, I also did this run, um, uh, from my house to the top of the two tallest peaks in Colorado and back, um, and it was 50 miles, so they're not like terribly far away, but, um, yeah, it's just like the view that I can see from my house every day. And so I thought it'd be cool to like run that from my house and back, um, so and it cool. ended up being exactly 50 miles. Um, but yeah, so I did that in FKT and, you know, I had some of those other race results, um, like that one fifty miler and, um, he wrote an article on me for trail runner and he was like, what shoes do you wear? I was like, oh, I wear Hoka's and he's like, are you sponsored? And I was like, no. <laughs> um, and he was like, oh yeah, well, I, kn- I know people at Hoka, like I can tell them about you. And I was like, okay, like you're not going to be interested. Like, <laughs> that's really nice of you though. So like he said that and like we had the conversation and I just figured I wouldn't hear anything of that again. <laughs> um, and yeah. And then I got this email like a couple of weeks later from the, um, athlete manager at Hoka and she was like hey I'd love to interview you for like a sponsorship opportunity and I was like what <laughs> it was like sort of taking back but so I think that's when I started kind of getting more serious you know than just having like a sponsor and um actually like you know having to perform and um yeah I every race I've run since then I've won so <laughs> it worked out pretty well but so far but um yeah, I, they were definitely taking a chance on me because I really hadn't done hardly anything <laughs> before they signed me on. So <laughs> that is just, first of all, it's incredible that like, uh, I, I think it just uh, almost just happened kind of naturally, right? Like it, it wasn't like you were like looking for it or anything like that. Like it just, you just went out there and just kind of raced and then like the sponsorship just kind of like happened through like all these different opportunities out there. And I mean, clearly it's going amazing. Like you mentioned before, I mean, winning every single race, like after that is like, that's unbelievable. Like seriously to, to have that in there. And so, I mean, they're, they're probably just as stoked as you are like with it, which is so cool. And I'm curious, like, you know, leading up to maybe Leadville and kind of just maybe over encompassing like your training, going to races, like, how do you 
how do you like see your training and how do you kind of approach it? Cause I mean, obviously you live in Leadville, which is, I mean, you have the benefits of like the, the altitude and the great mountains and like the awesome terrain, but like, you know, going into an ultra, uh, what is like, kind of like your mindset going into training? And like, I know you mentioned you're meticulous, so I'd love to kind of hear your process and kind of how you think about it. Yeah. Uh, well, when I first started, I, um, I didn't have a coach or anything. I was, I was really burned out and just like having someone telling me what to do yeah. <laughs> uh, just because you're cross country. It's like, even if you're not feeling good today, like this is what you're doing and this is when you're running and this is the pace you need to hit. And I just like, I really struggled with that. Um, cause I don't know, some days I just want to go easy or <laughs> I don't know. And I just didn't have the freedom to do that. Um, And so, yeah, that was one of the things that also like really burned me out and being on the cross country team. And so when I first started, I was like, I'm just going to run for fun. And, um, yeah, I, I don't want to have a coach or anything. Like, I just want to do whatever I feel like I (laughs) want to do that day. (laughs) And, um, yeah, I, I got a coach my going into my first hundred miler, um, because I, I, it was during COVID. I, um, did this little challenge where I ran, uh, from my house out two miles and back for as long as I could every, every hour. It was kind of like a backyard challenge, um, oh, nice. so miles every hour for as many hours as you can. And any time left, um, within that hour, after you run the four miles, you can use to like, you know, eat or whatever you need to do. <laughs> um, and in the beginning I had a lot of time, like I was having like 15 minutes, you know, to like chill and, <laughs> um, regroup before the next lap. But, um, yeah, I, I just, it got really hard for me. Like I'd never um, run for that long before and just had no idea what I was doing. And I also picked the worst day to do it. It was like freezing cold Leadville. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, And so, um, yeah. And then I started like going into the night and it just got really hard. And then I got to the point where I was like barely making the four miles within that hour. (laughs) And so that's ended up like what caused me to stop. I think I stopped at like 70 miles. I didn't make it very far because I didn't make the uh, time like back to my house because I was just like moving so slow. Um, and so after that, like I really wanted to run 100 miles and I was at level 100, hadn't been canceled yet. And so, um, I was like, I really need to get it together if I'm going to do level 100. Like, I don't even know like what I'm doing here. And so, um, one of my friends, uh, cause I worked at this restaurant here in Leadville and, um, one of my coworkers knew this coach here in Leadville and, um, he's a professional triathlete and, um, endurance coach. And, um, he's never run an ultra or anything, but his mom is really big into ultra running and just living in Leadville his whole life. He's been really exposed to the sport. Um, and so he really helped me a lot in the beginning, um, just getting into, or just helping me kind of plan these races out a little bit better and, um, helping me with nutrition and, um, just the kind of runs I needed to do leading up to it. Cause I just really had no idea how to train for a hundred miler. <laughs> um, and so that was super helpful for me in the beginning. Um, but I guess I just noticed like this year, um, I just started, like, it wasn't because I didn't trust him or anything. I just, um, didn't really think about following the plan. Like I just naturally started doing my own thing once I kind of figured out like what I needed to do, um, to train for these ultras. And so, um, yeah, I, I had to like tell him that I (laughs) just think I want to do my own thing now, (laughs) but, um, yeah, he was super helpful for me in the beginning. And now I just kind of like, I know, um, yeah, what kind of workouts I need to do each day, but I have a more relaxed approach to it. And like, I just kind of go out and do whatever I feel like that day. And I definitely have like goals for the week and, you know, like, oh, I kind of want to get in this mileage range or this, you know, much climbing this week, you know, but, um, yeah, other than that, it's pretty open. I do try to get like some speed workouts in. I don't really do a lot to speak of, but (laughs) I try. (laughs) I think that's the thing I struggle with the most is just speed work. (laughs) just because I, I like to go out and run long in the mountains and kind of explore. And that's kind of more my approach than, you know, having a really structured program and doing a lot of speed and 
structured training. So, yeah. And I think it speaks volume to like this, the style of race that I think you're really successful in is like the mountain races where like, maybe you don't always have to be, you know, the fastest or do like intervals as often. It's more of just like, you need to be like solid at climbing and being able to hit the descents and ultimately like be a great hiker. Right. Which is, I mean, speaks to your success at like, you know, Cocodona being, you know, 250 miles, like you, it's a lot of hiking too, for a lot of that too. So I think, you know, and it's so cool to see your approach, like of just, Hey, like, here's my goals, but I'm going to be flexible with it. Like, do you approach it? Like where, you know, if you wake up a certain day, you kind of assess how you feel, like what sounds good to you and just kind of like work within the boundaries of the week. And is that like kind of the approach that you take? Yeah. Yeah. I would say so for sure. And, um, this past summer I was fortunate enough to be able to quit my job and just run full-time. Um, so cool. congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. It, and so I think that really, um, helped me so much this year, just being able to recover well and just having all the time to, you know, really focus on, um, the sleep and like just relaxing the rest of the day after doing a big run rather than, you know, going to work and being on my feet for, you know, 10 hours or whatever. It was. <laughs> um, and being up late at night because I worked at a restaurant here in Leadville. Um, and it was a nice, a really nice restaurant and I really loved working there. I was there for three years. Um, but yeah, it was definitely just getting hard. Like the more serious I was starting to take my running, like the harder it was for me to be there. So, um, yeah, it was, I think that's been a huge part of my success this this year as well as just being able to really focus on all my races and training and recover well. So. That's awesome. Yeah. Cause I I was curious to ask about your recovery, right? Because like, I mean, your 2022 has just been stacked. I mean, it's a lot like lot of mileage and like usually a lot of people like I mean for me like I I mean I would struggle to do like all those races in one year and let alone you're not only doing them but like you're winning them too so like how are like how are you recovering like in between these because like you're coming back like at least by the results like look like fresh for each of these you know races that seem so close back to back to each other so like what is like your like secret to recovery so to say (laughs) um yeah I don't know I um yeah I don't really know what my secret is um (laughs) maybe just being like young (laughs) (laughs) um maybe it'll get harder as I get older (laughs) I won't be able to like run this many races (laughs) um (laughs) but um I, I get a lot of body work done like as soon as I feel anything or if I start feeling really tight um yeah, I spend a lot of money on massages and Mm. (laughs) acupuncture. (laughs) Um, yeah, that's, and I have a bunch of like some of my closest friends here in Leadville are professional, um, masseuses and acupuncturists. So, um, it's really nice to have friends who are able to just like get me in whenever. And, (laughs) um, my friend who's a massage therapist, like she'll be like, you're really tight today. Like, I don't mind going over time if you are okay with that. And so she'll do like massages that are over two hours which is really nice so I feel like they're the whole reason I like am able to stay healthy because I'm I'm honestly not really that great about rolling out um or doing strength work <laughs> so yeah I just get a lot of body work done and um I don't know up some salt baths and um yeah just really listening to my body like I am not afraid to back off if I start feeling tired and I was feeling really tired going into um rabbit uh the whole month before I just felt really sluggish and um just not recovered fully from high lonesome I just felt like I had a lot more time from between Cocodona and high lonesome um to recover and then start my training for the race whereas for high lonesome it was like basically just recovering and I didn't really put too much actual training in for the race um and so uh yeah going into it I like really wasn't sure how it was going to go because um, yeah, I just, I felt really sluggish, just really low energy, I guess, like the whole, and I had all these like weird aches and pains and stuff like going into the race. <laughs> and, um, it was also really stacked, you know, so many, a great women in, in the race, um, who also hadn't been racing much that <laughs> the season. So I was like, oh, they're going to be really fresh. <laughs> um, and so I, I honestly just like took all the pressure off myself. Cause I was like, yeah, there's no way I'm <laughs> doing well this race. Um, <laughs> But I, I just, 
uh, made a pace chart for myself and, um, or I had actually my friend, she's, she's basically my coach, <laughs> but, um, she's like more of a mentor mother figure. And she's really great with writing my pace chart. She just like knows kind of my potential and like, she's crewed me enough that she knows like about what time, um, I'll be able to run. And it's always just really accurate. Like I barely have to try to like stay on her chart. Like she just knows, um, oh, wow. And yeah, I'll come into the aid station and yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy, but, um, yeah, so she wrote me my pace chart for run rabbit and she also did for high lonesome and I was, and yeah, all my other races, but, <laughs> um, at high lonesome, she started me out a little slower and, um, I felt really good the second half and like was able to run like a whole hour faster than I expected. And oh, so wow. I was like, that strategy worked really well. Um, and so we're like, yeah, let's do this again for run rabbit. And so I started out slow and, um, yeah, I was like, probably like top 10 or something within the first 20 miles before I like took the lead. And I took the lead just naturally, like from following the pace chart, like I wasn't really trying to (laughs) compete or anything. Like I was just following when she said I needed to be at the next aid station (laughs) and, um, yeah, I ended up moving to first and then somehow like all the women that I was really worried about going into the race, like they either just had like an off day or dropped out. And so I was like, well, and then I ran like the exact time I was supposed to run for the race. So it it was kind of like a bit of luck too, <laughs> but, um, I, I'm like glad I was able to pull it off and I felt like I ran a smart race and, um, yeah, I felt like I ran within my potential. <laughs> so that is incredible. I think it's like, so awesome to have, like, even you, you still gave yourself like the grace and like, was like, Hey, like, you know, I'm just going to go out there, just going to kind of run and see how it is. And like, you stuck to the plan and you ultimately like, you know, it ended up working out in the end of the day, which is like incredible. Like, did you have to battle like any, and I'm curious, like this is more like a general question too, and maybe it could be specific to run rabbit. Like when you're in the middle of a race, like, cause I mean, obviously like these are long races, things happen. It gets tough. It gets hard. I mean, especially at Cocodona, right? Like you're out there for a long time. Like what goes through your head and how do you kind of manage any difficulty that comes up or like any adversity or like, cause it, it's so interesting. I love watching you race because when you race, like you always have this like big smile on your face and you're out there like looking like you're enjoying it, even in like the most like brutal conditions. So like, how do you handle your mindset when you're out there and maybe specific to run rabbit, you know, coming in a little tired and kind of feeling like, you know, like, like you mentioned before, like not your best coming in, but still pulling out the win. Yeah. I think, well, when I, when the race started, I just, and even before the race, I just saw so many people I knew and like so many friends. And I was like, Oh, this is such a wonderful, you know, community. And we started the race and I was like, this is so fun. Like, (laughs) (laughs) um, and yeah. And so like all of those thoughts that I had kind of going into it, like, Oh, I'm tired and stuff. Like, and my mom also wrote me this note before the race that really helped. Um, and she wrote me that your, your body is your thought. And mm. it's just so true with these long races and yeah, even just your mindset going into it. Um, you can choose to think like that your body's feeling bad or you can, you know, choose to <laughs> enjoy the race and, um, do the best you can. So that's kind of how I went into it and, um, yeah, started the race and was just really enjoying the whole experience. And, um, yeah, I think the biggest or the hardest part, cause we did have some kind of harsh conditions out there. Like it wasn't horrible. I think a lot of people blew it up into much worse than it actually was. It wasn't, I don't know. The storms weren't that long or anything. Like they were just kind of like, it would start kind of hailing and raining and stuff, but it, it didn't last super long. Um, <laughs> But it, there was one part in the race where it just got super bad. Um, and I had about 20 miles left to go and I was coming into this one aid station and the rain just came out of nowhere. It was kind of crazy. And, um, yeah, I was, I was about like two hours from sunrise and I came to this aid station and I like barely made it there. Like my, cause I wear these glasses in a race, um, cause I have horrible vision <laughs> and the contacts just get all irritated when I, um, do these long races and you're overnight and everything. Um, and so I have these glasses that are my prescription and then they're also transition lenses. Mm. Um, and so they're really nice, but they're not really, I, I found out that they're not great in the rain. <laughs> um, 
and they just started like fogging up and it was fine during the day. Like I didn't really notice it as much, but for some reason they just got really bad at the night when I like couldn't see very well to begin with because it's dark. Um, and yeah, just fogging up and like all the raindrops were like collecting on them. And so I like had a hat and I like put that over that, um, put that on to just like cover the, my glasses, but then it would make my headlamp all wonky. <laughs> like I just couldn't see it. <laughs> Um, and so I was like, oh, that doesn't work. Um, and then I also, I wear this waist light for all of my races and it always lasts for the whole night. And so I didn't bring an extra one. So I was like, I know I've used this multiple times. I know it will last you a whole night. And of course it died like halfway through the night. Oh no. <laughs> and there's no pacers or anything loud, um, at this race. And so, um, that was another reason I wanted to have like an extra light just because I was going to be alone in the dark and like, it's just nice to have like extra light <laughs> um and uh yeah so that was also challenging and then to have like the vision problems on top of that with the glasses and then I was like well maybe I'll just take the glasses off like maybe I can see better without but my vision is so bad like even with the glasses on it was still better than oh, no. <laughs> um and so and then this next part of the course it was um nine miles to the next aid station and um it was just really sparsely marked. There was literally one marker every mile, <laughs> nine markers in this nine mile stretch. And I, just, I couldn't see the markers until I literally got up to them because my vision was so bad. And I was also like just tripping over everything and stepping right in puddles because I couldn't see them. <laughs> it was just like getting soaking wet. And um, yeah, I couldn't see. And I just remember like I was almost in tears. I was like, oh my gosh, just please be a marker. Cause I just like start getting in my head about it you know, like, mm. oh my gosh. And I had my, I had the course downloaded on my phone, which I could have gotten out, but it's just, it's kind of an ordeal to do that. And I like, I was, you know, certain I was, I knew I was on the course. I was just getting in my head about it. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, it, that, that part was really hard, but, um, then the sun came up and <laughs> it was fine, <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. I, it, like I, even in that situation when it felt like really hard and everything, I, I just, I didn't get too down about it. Like, um, I don't know. Cause there's no, you have no choice out there, but to just like keep going. And like, it's never a question in my mind, like to drop out of a race. Like that's not even something that <laughs> would cross my mind. So, um, I don't know. I think that helps a lot too. Just when I'm feeling really bad in a race, it's like, well, the only way out is through. So there's no reason to like, <laughs> feel about that for myself because um yeah there's no choice but to keep going so that is awesome and I mean wow I didn't realize like all the adversity you went through in like the, those last few miles like at, at I mean that's a lot to, to juggle between like the eyesight and then the rain and then the water and then like I would be paranoid too like with like the uh the course markers like not seeing one for like a mile like that especially with low visibility like that's like like crazy but I love that you give yourself the option of just like yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm going to finish this. Like, do you think like that just helps you to keep, like, are you just like constantly saying, okay, just keep moving forward. Like what, what's kind of like the self-talk, like, are you saying, are you like talking to yourself or is it more just like, you're, you're just kind of like moving forward. Like, because most times I feel like when you don't kind of have that mental reserve, like you have, like you have that mental like strength to, to not just problem solve, but like move past the adversity right and it's usually like those things that you mentioned before that can crumble someone in an ultra so like are, are you talking to yourself during this or like wh what are what are kind of like the things going through your head but like besides like the i'm not going to finish or i am going to finish no matter what uh mentality throughout the race yeah i think it was just more like i, I was just kind of annoyed by it i was like oh my god <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like I was literally saying out loud like oh son please come up <laughs> so um I don't know it wasn't like that it really wasn't that bad it just yeah it was just more annoying I guess <laughs> yeah um yeah um but I knew I was gonna finish and everything so that wasn't like a thought in my mind I was so far ahead of the next female so I like I mean, there's just no one, like, I didn't see hardly anyone the last 30 miles. Like we were all just so spread out. Um, so yeah, I just, <laughs> I was like, well, there's no one here to complain to Like, I'm just here in the rain, in the dark by myself. Like <laughs> I just have to keep going. <laughs> I love that. I think, yeah, yeah. I, I, 
I think uh, it it speaks volumes to like how you see the problem, right? Because like like you mentioned before, you're like, oh, I just see it like as annoying, like small problems where it can be like easy to like cat like uh, I can't pronounce it like cat 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 catastrophe make it a huge catastrophe right like those like small yeah. problems yeah can't say the word there i don't know why i guess my brain gets in a in a loop but but regardless like i think i think it like speaks volume how you're seeing those things is like oh they're just like annoying the little things and i'm just going to keep kind of moving forward from there like i'm i'm curious like out of all the races that you did this year which one are you most proud of and then maybe which one was like the toughest like in your mind and maybe they're the same one maybe they're different ones but curious to hear from your perspective given the amazing races that you've had which one was the toughest and which one was like the one you're most proud of man um i don't know i think i i really ran a smart race at uh high lonesome and um I don't know. That was kind of the first race where I was like, wow, like I really, it was just a good mix of like, I ran smart, but I also like really pushed myself hard and I worked really hard for that. So it was just like a good feeling of, yeah, just like working hard for it and running smart. And so I just really felt like I gave it all I had when I um, did that race. And um, yeah, so I would say that's probably the one I was most proud of. And um, it's just such a cool race. Like it just feels like kind of my home turf because it's all in the mountains, like right in my backyard. Um, my parents live like two miles away from the start line. Oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah. And it's just a really cool race. Like there's over 21,000 feet of climbing and all of these amazing mountain trails. And yeah, I just love the course. And, um, yeah, I, I just felt like I ran a smart race to break the record by like over an hour uh, was pretty uh, cool for me. So um, that's probably the one I'm most proud of this season, but I don't know. Kobe Dawn is a close second. Cause I just feel like, um, I mean, my 240 went really well last year. Um, but I just felt like Kobe Dawn, I just, I felt a lot more dialed and I just felt like I knew how to, you know, run a 200 plus mile race and kind of be smart about it. So I feel like for that one, I, um, kind of ran closer to like my full potential in one of those long races, whereas Moab, I feel like there's a lot of room for improvement in that race. Um, just what I learned about sleep and I was just sleeping a lot the first night and going to Cocodona, I was like, I'm not sleeping at all the first night. <laughs> so, oh, wow. so much time. Didn't sleep yeah. at all. Like first night you just kind of just sent it through. Cause you were like leading to like, like close, like, like you were like really far ahead, even like the, the men's field too, in the beginning too, which was like really impressive to see. And you just didn't sleep that first night. You just kind of went straight through. Yeah. Yeah. I went straight through and, um, yeah, I would say, I, I mean, 250 miles, like that has to be like the hardest. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Down. I mean, hundred milers can be really hard too, but, um, yeah, just going through, it's just, I don't know. That's just such a deeper experience to go through one of those. Like you just, you go through so much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it really didn't, I don't know. There were a lot of things that were hard about Cocodona. Like that first night, um, we went through this cow field and, um, it wasn't marked at all. <laughs> and so we we're just following these little, or like following the map on our phones, me and my pacer. And, um, it was just awful. Like just stepping in all these like holes and, you know, running through like a field, there was no trail whatsoever. And we're just like, just following this little line, like hoping we're going the right way. And, um, then we got to this one part and it said it, it was like a sharp turn and we look and it's, you know, middle of the night, like two or 3am and I was so sleepy and, um, there were just all these thick like bushes and trees and stuff. And I was like, well, where are we supposed to turn there? Like, we can't even get through there. And so then we're like crawling on our, like, I was literally like on my stomach, just like scooching underneath these like bushes and trees. And I was getting all like scratched up and I was like, what are we doing? Like, this can't be the course. Um, <laughs> and so they have this number you can text, um, the, with the race command number or whatever. And so I texted them and I was like, Hey, this is my number. Can you check if I'm on course? Cause they have really great tracking at these long races and um, you know, you can see where everyone is throughout the whole race, which I think is really cool. But, um, yeah, so they checked, <laughs> like someone was up at three in the morning <laughs> monitoring the race <laughs> and, um, yeah, they're like, yeah, you're on course. And then I was like, okay, thanks. But I don't, 
like, I don't know how we're on, like, I don't know how this is the course. And then, so we kept going and, um, we're just going through all these trees and kind of getting disoriented because it's like dark and yeah, we started like veering off the course. And then they texted me again. They're like, you're off the course. Like we recommend you go back to like where you were before. And I was like, I don't even know like how to get back to where we were before. (laughs) 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 And so, yeah, we, we wasted like, and like maybe a half hour or something just want like getting through all these bushes and prickly trees and stuff. And it was just so annoying because I was so sleepy and just to be moving that slowly and like blast and going through this, it was just really frustrating. Um, and, uh, yeah, but we got back on the course and it turned out like we told them about it. I, cause I texted, them, I was like, just so you know, like there are no markings on this part of the course. And like, I was following the GPS tracks. I don't know, but it turned out that some cows had eaten the markings. No <laughs> so way. The course, like five times and they just kept coming and eating them. And so everyone else made the same mistakes and everyone else lost, you know, like 30 minutes or whatever in that one section. So it's just like frustrating for everyone. And then, um, finally the sun came up, which made things a lot better, but, um, they, uh, said that, um, there would be this nice like downhill stretch into Jerome and, uh, it was supposed to be like a nice dirt road. And they said that it's just improved so much from the last year, um and so I was like expecting a nice runnable section this next section so I was like excited for that the sun was coming up like it was going to be okay and then it turned out to be this like overgrown like horrible trail like it was like a really new trail or something so it just hadn't been like really established yet (laughs) and so it was like one step above bushwhacking and it was like really slow and really steep and so like I couldn't really run it that well and then um finally got into this road that was supposed to be a good road but it was like all this awful like rock like just kind of baby head rock and that was just really hard to run on and then it was like more uphill than downhill (laughs) and then um the we found like we were almost to the stretch of road um into Jerome that was the actual nice road (laughs) and my pacer was running in front of me and all of a sudden she just jumps up in the air and like has this blood curdling scream and um there was this rattlesnake like right in the middle of the trail and it like dry striked her calf and it was so scary like because that's really serious and um and you just couldn't see them like they were just really hidden in these rocks like on this trail and like if I had been running in front of her I probably would just stepped right on it like at that point I was like over 100 miles in and like super loopy and just like not having it because it was just that went through multiple sections of like horrible terrain um (laughs) and uh then like a quarter mile later the same thing happened um but she was able to like get out of the way so it didn't like strike her or anything but yeah it was just really scary and after that I was like I'm just so done with this like I can't run on these trails and there's snakes and I'm tired <laughs> I was like I just want my Colorado trails there's no snakes right now. um it's not as hot <laughs> but um yeah then we got into Jerome and I like cooled down a bit it was fine and, um, but then that second night I knew I was going to need to sleep more and, uh, yeah. So, um, my pacer and I, like, we planned to probably sleep on the trail at some point and we ended up going through this stream that was a lot deeper than we thought. And so it like went up past my thighs, um, and it was really cold. So it just like chilled me. And then we got up onto this mountain that, and it was like 30, like under 30 degrees up there. And all I had was like shorts and a t-shirt and like a little windbreaker <laughs> and I didn't, and I had gloves. Um, but yeah, I was definitely like not dressed properly. Like I should have had pants and like a puffy even. <laughs> um, and I was so sleepy and I told my pacer cause I was literally just stumbling around and like falling asleep, like as I was walking. And cause at that point I'd gone like three days and two nights, or this is the second night without sleep. Um, so it's just like, I needed to sleep and, um, I lay down and I was just started shaking like crazy. I've never shook like that before. I've never gotten like so chilled. And so I don't know if I was like, I flipped the mic or something. I don't know. It was kind of scary. Um, and I was like, okay, I definitely can't sleep here. We just need to go to the next aid station. And I've just, I've never been so uncomfortable before. I was just like being that cold and that sleepy and just like having to keep like running and just, so 
and the aid station was like so far. And, um, and then I finally got to the aid station. I was like, I'm definitely going to sleep there. Cause usually they have cots and stuff at these 200 mile aid stations and they didn't have any cots or anything or like a way for people to sleep there. Oh no. Um, yeah. And I was so desperate to sleep, but they had this like little heater. And so I just like sat by it and like drank some coffee and at that point, like no amount of caffeine is going to do anything. Yeah. <laughs> like I was just like a waste of time sitting there. And then you're colder when you leave the heater. Cause like <laughs> once you get kind of warmed up, I don't know how that works, but <laughs> I'm just being more chilled once I left it. <laughs> and, um, and also a couple of guys passed, I was in like second or third overall. I think I, yeah, I think I was in second or third overall. And then you guys passed me so I know I was in like fourth or fifth overall and so that was that happened like right before the aid station and then they left before me so I was like uh, <laughs> now I'm getting passed with people and I just need to sleep um but then I'm somehow made it to the next one like it was like the longest 11 miles of my life but made it to the next one and that's where I saw my crew and my pacer was able to text them that I needed to sleep and um so they had the car all heated up and I was able to like sleep for 20 minutes and um, that was really all I slept the whole race. <laughs> 20, 20 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> I did one uh, little trail nap on like the last night, but, um, I was really just at that point, I was just trying to get to the finish. Like, you know, just one more night that I can get through. <laughs> oh <laughs> so, my. That's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like a crazy experience. What was that like? Kind of like taking it in after that nap? Like, was it just like you, like, did it, did it revitalize you? Like, or like, did you feel better? Or was it still just like, like a like a grind to get into the end yeah no it helped it helped a ton and um just like that little bit of sleep we just made the biggest difference and it's kind of crazy how that works but I think the hardest part of that was like when they opened up the car and they also had to like pop some blisters and so I and I was just like yeah I don't know you just get chilled or really hot fast just because you're so exhausted and I just feel like stream temperatures like make you colder hotter than you actually are or something um and so when they opened up the car like I just was shaking like crazy because I just gotten warm inside and they were like popping my blisters and it hurt it's just so I remember like leaving that aid station I had like all these blankets on me because and I was just like shaking um oh my and like barely walking, like I was barely able to like walk out of the aid. And then they like took them off and they're like, okay, Amy, like, <laughs> like tried to run a few steps. <laughs> and I was just like, like a stiff, because when you lay down for that long, it's like hard to get going again. Like you just look like you're a million years old or something like trying to walk. <laughs> but then I um, sort of warmed up again and was able to like start running again. And um, yeah, and I actually left that aid before one of the men that past me before and he was still sleeping there and I was like okay I really need to like try in the section because I need to put some like miles on him um because he was sleeping a lot more than I was and I kept catching him at aid stations because he'd be sleeping there <laughs> and then he catch me in the next section I was like gosh dang it like <laughs> sleeping like <laughs> um and so when I left that aid station before him while he was still sleeping I was like okay that has to be the last time and then I didn't see him again, <laughs> but we had been yo-yoing the whole race because he just kept sleeping and I would catch him. <laughs> so, and then he'd catch oh. me. <laughs> it was just yeah. funny. <laughs> that is awesome. I mean, it, it's like awesome too. I mean, cause you ended up finishing third place overall, which is like, I mean, incredible. Like, I mean, so like, what was that, like that, that feeling like to, to come in at third place? Cause it's like, that's a dominating performance despite like it sounds like probably close to hypothermia like you mentioned before of like the shaking and everything like that but you still gutted that out so like what was that feeling like to to cross the finish line and come in third like despite basing all of that yeah it was really special to me and um yeah like I mean the top, top two men are you know just incredible like um yeah Joe is our string bean <laughs> He just has some incredible FKTs on like the Appalachian Trail. So he's just really great at those really long distance um, hikes slash runs. And so I feel like a race like Hokodona is like perfectly suited for him. Um, and yeah, he just did so amazing. And then Mike McKnight, obviously like he's won like all the 200s and that's kind of his specialty. And yeah, just has, um, yeah, really great history with those races. So um, yeah, it's coming third just behind them. Like was, was pretty cool for me. And um, yeah, 
That's awesome. And I think it's like so interesting too, right? Because I mean, and and Joe is, an, like you said, an incredible athlete and so is Mike, but they're like more well-known for like the 200s and the long distance kind of stuff. Like Joe, this is kind of like versus venture into like kind of like the 200 is space. But, you know, as you said before, he's more like through hiker and FKT. And that's like, even just from a 200 mile perspective, it's such a different game than the hundred mile but you seem to have a dialed in on both the 200 mile, 200 plus mile and the hundred mile. Like, how do you, I, I mean, what, what do you think speaks to that success of being successful in both of those distances for you? Cause like, I think, and I've never done a 200 mile in full transparency. Like I've only done, you know, one hundred, but I, it sounds like they are just very different in nature. Um, and usually like a person can be more suited for one than the other, but to you, what, what do you think makes you successful in like both of those arenas? I think um, just having such a long background with running in general, like I, you know, I did a lot of speed for a long time. And so um, I still can run, you know, decently fast, <laughs> but I have really good endurance. And I feel like that's mm. my biggest strength. That's always been my biggest strength. Like I never had a good kick. Um, I never was like very fast in high school or like when I ran cross country, but I was always like the long run was my favorite workout. And um yeah, the longer the distance, like the better I would always do. And so, yeah, that, that's kind of what I was always known for. Like I could just hold the same pace for a really long time and like, mm. I would never really get tired, but, um, yeah, I just, I really struggled with speed. So I feel like, um, the hundred mile distance is really good for me. Cause I, you know, I am a runner at heart <laughs> and so I can run like most of a hundred miler and then with two hundreds, um, yeah, I feel like, I don't know. I'm just really stubborn <laughs> and like, I don't give up easily. So I feel like that's kind of what helped me with those ones is yeah. I'm just really stubborn <laughs> and I try to run as much as I can. So <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. I love, uh, I, I love what you said in there. It's like, you're really good at like holding a pace for like the same pace for like a while. Right. And a lot of times we think, and I, I think like to, to my chagrin, when I first came in the ultra sport, it was all about like, Oh, you got to increase your pace. And like, you know, you got to be like as fast as possible, but really like when it comes to ultra, like being able to like be even split as possible, or even, you know, we're seeing some athletes like Nick Curry or like negative splitting. It's like, this is like all crazy stuff to say, but like, that's the success right there. It's like, how long can you endure that same pace? And like, that's even better than, you know, coming out the gate, like super quick. And obviously it amounts to your success and, you know, not just uh, success in the hundred miles, but also the 200 plus miles, which makes you a super versatile runner, which I think is an awesome uh, time to bring up this next point, because I think because you're so versatile and so successful in so many different outlets. Like, I mean, you make an incredible coach and you just recently just had some exciting news about that, uh, about, you know, you're kind of venturing into the coaching world. So tell us a little bit about that. Cause I think, you know, I, I always say like when people like have big goals in the sport, I'm like, you know, hire a coach who's like super successful in like their area. I mean, like one of the best of the best. And, you know, given your track record, I think you have well earned that title for, for, you know, out of the runners in the field today. So tell us a little bit more about this exciting announcement and, you know, this new opportunity that, that you recently posted uh, on social. Oh, thank you so much. Um, yeah. So I, uh, I'm friends with uh, Addie Bracey and yeah. she coaches on the team as well. And, um, yeah, we were just going for a run together this summer and, um, she was like, yeah, uh, Ian is looking for the coach, um, for the 200 mile distances because none of the other coaches have run 200. Um, and she was like, is that something you'd be interested in? Like, um, being a coach. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool. <laughs> um, but yeah. And so I, I just kind of looked into it more and found this, um, UESCA ultra running certification. And I was like, well, I'll go through that program and like, see if I am a good fit to be a coach. Um, and I really enjoyed the program and I just figured, you know, be a cool way to give back to the sport and by helping other athletes, um, reach their goals and, um, also just get more people into the 200s. Cause I'm just really excited to see that distance, um, take off a bit more. And so I'm really excited to work with more athletes who want to run these 200s and, and even 100s. Um, but yeah, actually my athletes right now are, um, actually don't have any 200 mile athletes yet, <laughs> but, um, 
yeah, I'm just, uh, it's really been fun just to work with, you know, all different kinds of people, you know, all backgrounds and, um, you know, one of my athletes lives in New York city and, um, it's interesting to try to like figure out how to train him for trail running. Um, just living in a city where there's not great access to trails just because I'm living in Leadville. I just, that's not really something I <laughs> would think about, like not having access to trails. Um, so it's, it's really cool to like work with, you know, people who live in different places and, um, are training for all different kinds of events. Um, so I kind of enjoyed like the puzzle piece part of it. <laughs> um, yeah, just figuring out how they can train the best in their environment. So, yeah, I mean, and that's like, a, like, a, so I'm from New York too, originally. So like, I understand the struggle of just like being like, that is a, that is a tough place to train, but I think it speaks volumes to like your, your coaching thing, right? Cause you mentioned, you said like, I'm training him and, and we're going to do this. We're going to hit his goal. And it's just all about figuring it out. Right. Because I think that's what makes a good coach is like, you're, you're able to look at a situation and saying, okay, how can we make this work? Even, you know, being a, like a trail runner in New York city, which seems impossible on first glance. Right. So that's super cool. And I'm curious to hear, like, do you have like a, maybe a philosophy that you think like defines like kind of like the way that you coach or the way that you like work with your athletes or a certain approach that you like that, that kind of makes, you know, uh, coaching with Annie, like, so, you know, so you, so to say. Yeah. I think the biggest thing for me is, um, you know, I don't know exactly how my athletes, you know, are feeling. Um, and so I really want to leave it up, you know, to my athletes, you know, to like, if they're not feeling great that day to make that decision to, you know, not have to do that workout or whatever, and just ask me and I'll rearrange it. So, um, I, I just, I really want to encourage my athletes to go off of how they feel and like, not necessarily feeling like they have to follow the structured plan to a T, um, it's mm. really important. Um, so yeah, I don't mind doing a little extra work and like rearranging things around. Like, if, um, yeah, as long as they're like communicating with me and, um, listening to their bodies. I think that's really huge. Yeah. And I feel like it's authentic too. Cause like, like we were talking about in the beginning, it's like how you approach training. Right. And I always say like the best coaches are the ones who would like take their own advice, which sounds like exactly like that you do in like your own methodologies. And obviously has led to your success for, you know, being able to, you know, structure your training and for what your body needs in the moment. And it's so cool to see you taking that principle onto like, uh, you know, your athletes that you're coaching and everything, which is super, super cool. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think that's really huge and yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And for our listeners who are listening to, I mean, like, like I said before, like if you're looking for a coach, like in two hundreds or, you know, even, even just diving into, you know, the world of long distance, I mean, Annie is one of the, one of the best of the best out there. So I, she has my stamp of approval for sure. Like in terms of like coaching and I'm sure stamp of approval of just, you know, the, the ultra community. So any, like if someone's listening here, who is interested in working with you or learning more about you, where can they, where can they do so? And I'm, I'll be happy to put the information in the show notes too. Um, but where can they reach out to you or inquire about your coaching programs? If, uh, if, if they're interested in signing up with you. Oh yeah. Thank you. Um, it's through the Charmin ultra coaching website. Um, so if you just go to charmanultra.com, um, yeah, you can hit the contact, um, button and Ian, I'll get you in touch with me. So <laughs> that is awesome. That is awesome. And I'll put the, uh, the link in the uh, show notes too. So uh, if you want to go uh, work with, uh, um, you know, work, work with Annie over here, like definitely, definitely go to the show notes and uh, contact her. Cause I mean, I, th I think you'll be in good hands for sure. I know you'll be in good hands, you know, if you work with Annie so far. So Annie, before I ask my last question here, uh, we talked about like where they can find you on coaching, but uh, where can our listeners also, you know, tune into your world on social media, follow along uh, because you do have uh, Havelina coming up, which is your, your last race of the year. And uh, which is just so impressive that you're doing yet another hundred miler, like to top it off, I think is, is incredible. Um, but where can our listeners uh, find you on social media? And would also love to hear what your, what your kind of thoughts are going into uh, the party in the desert later this month. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I just have, uh, Instagram and Strava for social media. Um, so it's adorable Annie. 
for um, Instagram and then yeah, Annie Hughes on Strava. Um, and yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to just take on this last race of the season and also just, um, you know, do a different kind of race from anything else I've ever done. I guess cold rod or rumble was probably the most, um, comparable to Javelina, but, um, still different in a lot of ways. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really looking forward to just the atmosphere of the race. I think that's the thing I'm most excited for is just like a wild <laughs> kind of party experience. So, um, yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun and a cool way to end the season, but, um, yeah, hopefully I can figure out a creative way to get some heat training in here <laughs> before the, the race. So, <laughs> yeah. Like and I wanted to ask about that too. Cause like, and I know I mentioned, I have one last question, but more, more so two, two questions. Cause like, I think, I think it's like a cool, like case study to see like into your world. Right. Because, you know, not everybody's in the desert, like, and October is like an interesting time of year where like other places it gets like colder. I mean, like you mentioned, like before we start recording, it's snowing in Leadville, which is just like, I mean, like so, so different than the desert, but, you know, coming into there, I guess, like, how do you like plan to like, think of these strategies and maybe like, what would your suggestion be for someone who, you know, like you said before, like lives in New York city or maybe lives in a place that's just not similar to where they're racing, but in order to like set them up for success. And I guess how you approach that in, in your own training. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the races that I've done so far, um, you know, have been very comparable to like where I live, uh, like high lonesome. I could just go train on the course all the time. Um, <laughs> and then run rabbit. I went down and train on the actual course a couple times too. So, um, just having access to the actual course is really nice, but, um, for Coca Dona, you know, I wasn't able to get out to <laughs> run part of the course for that. So, um, I actually went down to Moab for, um, like a little over a week and trained there. Mm -hmm warm um in the spring and that was like the month before the race and I just had a really great week of training down there and um yeah I think that that helped a ton because in May it's still a little snowy and awful here <laughs> um so yeah it was nice to escape down to Moab which is only like four and a half hours away um and get some desert running in so I think you know just maybe making a trip out of it or something just get a good week of training on in a place that's similar to where you'll be racing, um, is really huge. Um, or there's all kinds of little like tricks and things you can do to <laughs> kind of mimic what you'll experience. But, um, I don't know. I don't think anything is, I, I think the most important thing is just being fit, you know, as long as you're, mm. you're fit, like no matter how bad the conditions are, if you're not used to it, like just having like great, great fitness is probably the biggest thing. Um, but yeah, and then fine tuning those adaptions to heat or cold or mountains, whatever altitude um, that can be done like pretty close to the race. So yeah, and there's yeah. to do that. So yeah, that's that's actually a really good point. I love how like you're focusing on like the fitness, and then you know to your point too, it's like really it only takes like maybe like a week to like get those like race tune specific things in like you mentioned right like as you said hey i spent a week in moab like i remember you know adam peterman before western states like he came out to phoenix like for like a week like before just a week right and like that was kind of like his you know heat training so to say and a lot of athletes do that i mean even in you know phoenix here people will go to flagstaff if they're training for like a mountain race or something for for a week um at cooler temps and high altitude so it's a it's such a cool thing. Cause I think a lot of people put a lot of weight and I take this also to myself as like, put a lot of weight on like the race specific stuff where it's like, Hey, fitness is first. And then like, you can fine tune those race specific stuff in a week. So I think that's a awesome, awesome advice. And I'm excited to, uh, to see you at Javelina. I think it's going to be super cool to see you out there and, and, uh, and have a party in the desert and, uh, enjoy some of the, uh, the, the scorching hot Arizona heat to get you out of the, uh, the snow for a little bit, for sure. So it's going to be super, super fun. And, uh, Annie for, for my last question here that I ask every single guest who comes on the show, what can our listeners do every single day to be a better endurance athlete? Yeah, I think, um, I wouldn't say yeah, running every single day, <laughs> 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 But I think 
um, you know, just being like really realistic with yourself and really like listening to your body. I think like that's the biggest thing is, um, just being honest with yourself and saying like, do I just not feel like, you know, doing this long run today? Or do I really think it's gonna, like, I, it's not good for me to do that today. So, um, just kind of like knowing those things about yourself, like knowing when you can push it more and knowing when to back off. Um, so, and then just being really consistent. Um, so yeah, I would say every day, just being really in tune with your body and how you're feeling. <laughs> I think that is such an important like tip for ultra runners, right? Because like, we see like this kind of like, like there, there's a, a stamp of like toughness and ultra running, like when you can like, you know, push through pain and like in a race, right. If your legs are tired and you know, it's like, that's like a natural thing, but like, I think some, I think it's easy to take it too far right where like you're pushing injury and people are like well i have to like go out and slam this run anyways and then it ends up being way worse than it is so i think like i think the message that you're saying there is just so important for the ultra community like to to really understand because it's like yeah sure like you have to push your difficulty but no sense in pushing the body when it's like saying hey today's not the day and clearly obviously it speaks to the, the success that it's working out for you and everything and um so stoked to see you know not just the rest of this year but the rest of your career i mean young age of 24 like you have like whole like years of running ahead of you and uh i think uh you're going to continue to make splashes in the uh in the ultra community for sure my friend so so excited to uh see the rest of your journey and uh thank you so much again for coming on the show this was super super fun annie Oh, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, looking forward to seeing you at Hamelina. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks again, Annie.